1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we are here for Chapter 2
0: of the Fraternity Chronicles. It is good to see you again. Good to see you as well, my friend. Um, So much time has passed, and I think now is a good time to let our listeners know that since this is going so well, we are going to now be releasing daily podcasts. <laughs> oh my God, no. Correct? No?
1: <laughs> Definitely not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are, uh, we're here December 27th, and we're sending off Bro in classic Lords of Limited fashion with our 50 Takes in 50 Minutes episode. I've gotten a lot of feedback in the past year about our 50 takes episodes and they're sort of just a happy accident of like we started doing this for og dominaria for our 50th episode and then i think skipped a set and then decided hey this is actually a pretty good way to summarize the formats and then also bonus is that there's such good ways for folks to be able to come back it's like oh i actually have i haven't played streets in a few months and now it's like my you know lgs is rcq and what do i do and so they go and listen to the 50 takes and they do well or it's a flashback draft online or a flashback draft at their LGS. And so I I love to hear that, that uh, it's helpful for folks as a retrospective, you know, well, and there's going to be a call time arena open coming up, right? So you better believe I'm going to be going back
1: and listening to the call time 50 takes because that was a complex format. And I liked it a lot. But it is not very fresh in my mind right now.
0: (laughs) That's a really good point. Yeah, I don't go back and listen because I have, you know, I have the highest tier of Patreon in a way. So I go back <laughs> and I check the show notes. So I just scour the show notes for all the the good information and then uh, and then get to read the benefits. So yeah, for sure. That is uh that is a sweet perk. So that's what we'll be doing today. Uh Ben, I want to give you an opportunity because you gave you did the bulk of the work here, and then I, you know, took a second pass and and judged and and, you know, just tweaked and and consolidated some notes. Do you have any honorable mentions? for these 50 takes that you want to get off your chest. Specifically, an item that I cut from the list <laughs> called Ben's list of illegal rares. Do you do you have any, any beef you want to take care of here with some cards from bro? I would love to. So uh, here's my list of illegal rares that was axed from our 50 <laughs> takes
1: quite maliciously. Yeah. Top of the list, Siege Veteran.
0: Why does this cost three mana? It's just Luminarch Aspirant or whatever, right? Like the the two-mana, one-one that puts counters on stuff, except it's like one more mana, but for limited, it's basically the same. And that card is broken. Yes, it's totally absurd.
1: Number two on the list, Titania's Command. Mm-hmm. Why is this 12, 12-plus 12 power and toughness for six-mana? It is totally unnecessary to make 2 eight eights, and then also, or I guess, 2 four i <laughs> I'm inflating in my mind what the card actually <laughs> did. But man, it was so hard to beat. I think I beat Titania's Command once, all format, and conceded many times when it was cast. Card is very upsetting. Gix's Command, why mm-hmm. does this need to be a board wipe plus a benefit to you? Or if the board doesn't need to be wiped... Why not make it bring
0: back two creatures? Like, it's so versatilely good. Yeah. And if you want to see someone have Siege Veteran, Titania's Command, and Gix's (laughs) Command in one deck together, be on the lookout for Rares versus Reanimator, a Lords of Limited Showdown on the channel Fireball YouTube. That was a good match of Magic the Gathering. Sure was. All right, continue, sir. There's so many other cards that just snowball or end the game. Skystrike
1: Officer. Why does this need to snowball so hard on three mana? Tyrant of Care Ridges. We need more flying dragon flame tongue kabus in the world. Worm coil Engine. Colorless 6-6. Death Touch Lifelink. You want to kill it? Oh, wait. I'll take two more creatures with those abilities, please. Portal to Phyrexia. You had a board? Oh, wait. No, you didn't. Oof. I hate the rares. I just started looking down the 17 lands list, and then my blood pressure got so high, I stopped after Portal to Frexia. There were like about 20 other cards I wanted to list, and then I realized, oh, this is terrible. So thank you for letting me get that off my
0: chest. That was a lot of pent up anger. I, I, yeah, your the uh, the the decibel and the pitch level of your voice slowly began to escalate as you got up the list. You had me. I I was I was in your corner until you got to Portal to Phyrexia. It's a nine mana mythic. How how mad can you be? You know, but the game's done. I mean, yeah, it's sure Portal's fine, but the game is just over when your opponent casts it unless you had tokens. So here it's it's very funny. And I, I know we're going down the rabbit hole just a little bit here. I promise we'll get back on Rails, we'll do our housekeeping, we'll we'll get to the 50 takes. But as you are enjoying yourself, as I watched you on stream yesterday, in the vintage cube that you're doing, how do you rationalize the part of vintage cube that is all zero sum fun, like you have no permanence. I have all the permanents, but something like Portal to Phyrexia in a regular limited format bothers you. Like, is it just, you know what you're signing up for when you draft Vintage Cube? Well, and I always
1: have the opportunity to draft an insane deck in Vintage Cube. Like uh-huh. the, the playing field is level because every pack is filled with busted cards. Okay. My, my gripe with bro is when I do a draft and my draft ends and I drafted a tight little two color deck and have no rares, but have some good uncommons and some good first pick commons. And then I lose to decks with these rares in them And I never had the opportunity to pick them. Like I told you last week, my whole thing with drafting is I want to have a better deck at the end of the draft so that my gameplay can be sloppy. And I think in formats that have tons of great rares like this, I have less of an advantage in general at the end of
0: drafts. Look at you go, just like training for reality competition television by saying last week to an episode we recorded 24 hours ago. (laughs) I mean, I'm a professional. What can I say? Just a professional. Absolutely astounding. Okay, so a couple housekeeping things before we send Bro off in Lords of Limited fashion and Ben can shut the door on this nightmare of a format for him. First things first, let's talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose. The show, of course, will always be free, but we got some sweet perks along the way. You Get access to the Lords of Limited Discord if you're in the middle of the arena decathlon and you're like, Oh man, what deck should I be playing? I want to be talking to a like-minded group of limited individuals and try and spike these constructed events. The Lord's limited discord is for you. And firexia all is one is just around the corner. Another great time to get in on the Lord's limited discord. Uh, As you move up the reward tiers, you get access to the show notes in advance of the episode, get access to the show a day early. So that's a sweet perk. And all the way up the reward tiers, you get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any and all of that sounds of interest to you, check out our Patreon page. No patrons to shout out this week because we are in the midst of the Paternity Chronicles. But from the bottom of my heart, while I am taking these sleepless nights and days with a crying baby, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Yeah, we cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player,
1: tcgplayer.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related on the internet, whether that's getting some sealed product or maybe signing up for a TCG player subscription, 6 dollars a month, which will get you free shipping and tracking, some extra bonus bucks, as well as access to all of the backlog of CFB Pro articles. I'm sure there'll be tons of sweet new content coming out in January and February leading up to Phyrexia All Will Be One. So if you want to get in on that TCG player subscription, or purchase some sealed product on the website, please use our affiliate link so that they know that we sent you over there. There's two ways to get there. You can go to lordslimitedcom slash TCG player. That will redirect you automatically to our affiliate link, or you can check out our website, lordslimited.com. There's a bunch of sweet stuff there. There's tier lists. There's links to our merch, other sweet stuff, and you can click on the support tab. And then there's also a link to the TCG player affiliate link there as well.
0: Boom. I know this will be a thing of the distant past when this episode is released, but I am shockingly hyped for the 48 hour cube for charity event happening on Twitch right now. It's a team J bro versus team Jim Davis uh, with a four V four team uh, on a cube trophy hunt for the vintage cube. And I never like think I'm going to care about it, but all of a sudden it comes around. This happens every year it comes around and I'm just like glued to my Twitch screen watching as many of those streamers as I can. I am as well. I fell asleep watching Caleb stream last night. Yeah. Yeah. It's I uh, I don't know. Just like any, any time there's, just the, the slightest inkling of stakes or limited. <laughs> I'm just like, ooh, I'm interested. All right, let's get to it. Fifty Brothers War takes in fifty minutes, Ben. I'm gonna start the clock. You wanna kick us off in three, two, one. Let's go. Number one. Bro was the fastest format we've
1: had in a long time. Fast enough that we don't like to talk about speed, and I don't think you could talk about bro without talking about the speed of the format.
0: So (laughs) confession here, a little behind the scenes. I almost wrote a like addendum bullet point. And wrote, was it, in our show notes? So so talk to me (laughs) about this. Because I I do think there is a little bit of best of one versus best of three happening here. But I know you dip your toe plenty into best of three as well during this format. So just talk to me about what you mean by it being the fastest format. Because a lot of times, you know, in recent sets, we're just like, eh, speed isn't important to talk about because... Every limited set, you have to get on board. Your curve is important, two drops are important, etc. So what makes this format specifically unique in that way? It's hard to put my finger on, honestly,
1: other than that I can tell you with great certainty, <laughs> any time I tried to dirtle without respecting getting on board, I just insta-lost to the worst, clunkiest <laughs> cards with power and toughness. I mean, I don't I don't know if it was because there's such a high density of three ones. That were attacking you early, easily, Mm. or just cards with stats for under mana or unearth like maybe made you have a turn less you know people could unearth their work cohorts or their Mishra's Juggernauts and kind of get you on turn 5 turn 6 but it was it felt very fast to me and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why that is I guess removals good too so people always had removal to remove your blockers
0: mm. if you were behind a step I don't know I wish I had a better answer for you than that no that was a good enough answer for me and I think I'll throw in one other thing I do think that the colorless nature of a lot of the unearth cards, as we'll get to a little later, just allowed people who were ahead of the curve to understand that they could have a good curve in any draft. You know, you didn't have to worry as much about, oh, is this color going to be open? Is this color pair open? Can I get two drops? Like if you think about Streets of New Capena, as we just last week, wink, wink, did our retrospective on the year, you know, thinking about Streets, the rules of engagement there and the, the two color, two drops that were a common. I think the colorless two drops at common here, the colorless ways to get on board, really added to that impact as well. Yes, for sure. Number two, Bro was not Power Stones the format as we initially assumed during preview season. You know, it's kind of savage to give the founder of rectangle theory this point, but I must agree (laughs) with you. They were big players, but not the whole picture. And I would say like the sort of if then statement that we thought existed of like, if Power Stones, then big monsters it was if Power Stones, but it wasn't then Big Monsters. It was then Mana Sinks, then unearth or whatever, you know, like it, Power Stones and only some ways to make Power Stones, I would say, were impactful. Right, but they were still very good. I mean, the cards that were good that made Power Stones
1: were Great, because you could use, you know, that stuff on paying for unearth costs or just literal rectangle theory, like as pieces of cardboard to sacrifice to other things for very good effects. It was important to have disposable things on the battlefield for so many of the premium cards. For sure. Number three, if it was not Power Stones the format, it was
0: Unearth the format. Unearth was the defining mechanic of Bro. Yeah, I mean, and I think I just missed it in – preview season in the crash course, I just was like, Oh, cool. Unearth is back. And I hadn't ever played with it outside of cube. You know, I must've been in my sort of blind spot in my magic history of when it came out in like regular limited formats. So I hadn't played with it in a regular set before. I was like, cool. It's back. But it was just so much and took me a few weeks before I was like, oh, this is what bro is all about, you know? Yeah, for me, this also went a week or two. I do think
1: we were on all of those cards like Scrapwork Cohort or Combat Courier being good. I remember talking about those cards being overperformers mm. in our first episode that we recorded after playing with the cards. But I still don't think we had internalized that they were the best cards in the form. And that they know? were
0: colorless. Right. Yes, that as well. Yeah. Number four, removal was the best it has been since we started the podcast. Another behind the scenes point for you folks. I think I consolidated about five bullet points about removal into... (laughs) two in the show notes here. So this is one of them. And that just goes to show how prevalent this was for us, how important removal was. And as we'll talk about later, even the sort of, you know, offshoot or clunkier looking removal spells that we often see in various colors were good. I mean, what did you say last week? You're like, I love casting epic confrontation. What a far cry from some <laughs> uh, green fight or bite spells we've seen in the past where you've like, you know, gone on a soapbox about them being unplayable. Yeah, that's funny. Normally, I do hate the green fight spell with a burning passion.
1: Epic Confrontation was my jam in this format. What can I say?
0: I played green way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it it was good. I mean, green had two fight spells, not bite spells, and they were both pretty darn good. And I I think, you know, as you you go all the way down the list of like, well, what's like the clunkiest, least playable removal spell I'd want to play? And you'd still probably put in your deck. I talked about putting Goblin Firebomb in multiple decks in this format, just because I was like, need a way to interact, got some power stones, whatever, this is a five mana removal spell in my deck. And sometimes you just got to do it. Um, So I definitely think that removal was so, so important. I mean, not only for removing, you know, cheap threats, if you were trying to go late with something like disfigure, but for just being able to have answers to those game breaking bombs or to disrupt engines. Completely agree. And I also think, despite
1: how important removal was, it's interesting to note that the best cards to pick early were still cards like, you know, Scrapwork Mutt and company. The creatures Mm -hmm. still were, the best creatures still were
0: higher picks than removal, even though removal was so important. Because of how well those creatures stacked up against removal, right? You never wanted to fire off Excavation Explosion on a Scrapwork Mutt or a Scrapwork Cohort. You're like, what the heck? Like that's just coming back for more later. Right.
1: You just get two for one. Yeah. Number five, despite having numerous bombs, the retro artifacts were definitely a net positive for the format. I I cannot believe I don't have to fight you on this point. No, they're definitely, this is not even close for me. They're definitely good. I mean, warm coil engines, a bit egregious. Precursor golems, a bit egregious. But all in all, The retro artifacts definitely made the format way more fun. Like they did so many things to enable getting on board early, having disposable artifacts. They did cool things with each other. They did cool things with some of the weirder rares that were actually in bro. I I just think this or the mystical archive from Strixhaven, almost anytime they do something like this is just going to add variety
0: and depth to the drafts in the format. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, g- I'm glad you mentioned Precursor Golem so I get to get on my soapbox just a little bit for a second, which is that I cannot tell you how many times someone in Twitch chat would be like, do we have anything in our deck that like makes Twi- makes Precursor Golem good? I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry I don't have Gaia's Gift in my deck. I just have a five mana nine nine over three cards. Like, It's just good. You don't need to combo with it. People be like, should we play Tano's Tinkering to go with Precursor Golem? Like, absolutely not. Can I just play my five mana nine nine? That's colorless. Um, Totally agree. Love this. Love the Mystical Archive. And please do not like start trying to do this for every set. So nice to just have it like once every two years as a really cool limited treat, I think.
1: Yes, agree with that for sure.
0: Number six, bro was definitely a board presence people format that rewarded being proactive. I mean, this goes back to the fastest format we've had in a long time, but like I mean, boy, howdy, this format will not only teach you about deck building, but it will teach you about getting on board early and often.
1: Yeah. And I think somehow I managed to lose this along the way towards the end of the format. (laughs) You know, after we, we stopped for the arena open and doing a little cube and then coming back, I just, I knew it was a rule, but I don't think I knew how important it was, or I'd forgotten how important it was, or I was trying to go level two, when like the level to be on that's the best is still just level one, like just getting on board is still better than trying to, you know, play black green life gain with a bunch of commons and uncommons, that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely get on board early and often. For sure. Number seven,
0: almost all of the unearthed cards were colorless if you drafted your deck appropriately. Amen. I think I would put 10 of the 12 as colorless. I'd leave heavyweight demolisher and Yoshin frontliner. Is that the one drop? Yes. Yes. I'd leave those as not quite colorless, but the other 10 for sure is just like as the more you shift your mindset to these are actually colorless cards. And then somewhere along the way, you'll pick up a way to fix for them, whether it's an evolving wilds, fetching a mountain for a couple muts, mutts, whatever, a couple muts mutts and a Mishra's research desk. But like just being able to shift that mindset and delay your decision and just put those cards in as many decks as possible ups your win rate. Breach. Number eight. Fixing was scarce in the format, and yet such an important piece of like making these quote-unquote colorless unearthed cards splashable, you know?
1: Yeah, so we had Sentinel Stalwart as the green 1-1 that could tap an artifact or creature along with it to make a mana of any color. You had Evolving Wilds to go fetch up a basic, and Energy Refractor to filter mana through. That was the two-mana artifact that ETB drew a card and let you pay two mana to make one mana of any color. And I think, honestly... All three of these were excellent. I think I would put Evolving Wilds one, Energy Refractor two, Sentinel Stalwart three. Is it blasphemy to put Sentinel
0: Stalwart third on this list? I think it's blasphemy to put Energy Refractor second on this list because number nine, speaking of, the Golden Egg Award goes to energy refractor. Da-da-da. Love that card. We've teased this quite a bit, but yeah, I still think I'm on Energy Refractor over Wilds. And to go back to the previous point, no, I don't think it's blasphemy to put Stalwart third there, just because colorless baby. I mean, I think you want to, you know, the more you get to lean into that colorless nature of the format, the more you get to delay the t- decision. And not that that's correct for every single draft you do, but having that as a tool in your your toolbox um, is really important. But yeah, Energy Refractor does it all. You want to fix your mana for unearthed cards? Check. You want to draw. An extra card to turn if you're in that blue black deck or have some synergy pieces for that check you want a disposable artifact on the battlefield to sacrifice check you've got a yoshin dissident and you want an artifact to enter the battlefield and replace itself check what can't this
1: card do it really is an awesome glue card very 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 good I did experiment a lot with Sentinel Stalwart towards the end of the format and got a little lost in the sauce. And I kind of landed on that you still wanted to try to wheel Sentinel Stalwarts. I think you got kind of punished when you were taking
0: them highly over other cards that were playable. I think so. And it was a little push-pull because that was like one of the last gasps of, you know, I, I'd say like the meta shift, sort of similar to when Jasper of Sentinel was really discovered and 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 preached to the masses um, during Kaldheim. I think it started to, a card that you started to... Feel like you could wheel was a card that people were like, oh, I'm first picking that. It's like, well, part of the reason this card is so good is because you can get it late. For sure. Number 10, the color power rankings for this format are red, greater than black, greater than white, greater than green, greater than blue. We had no discussion on this point. Are you are you not fighting back at all? I'm not fighting back. I still, for me, feel like it's a Jund format, but I don't think that means that white can't be ahead of green.
1: Yeah, I just felt more and more towards the end of the format. I do think green is my most drafted color, which is a little embarrassing. If you looked at my top commons, but I just felt more and more as the format went on that green didn't play great with artifacts, unless you paired
0: it with white. Interesting. Yeah, I did not feel that way. But maybe that was just because I was taking mask of the jade crafter. So (laughs) absurdly high. Oh, I took that card absurdly high as well. That cards a house. Yeah, an absolute house. Um, But yeah, but I'm into this. And I think white deserves um, its day in the sun there. And we'll talk about white a little later as well, just in terms of what it provided especially at common in this format as a failsafe. Well, and I also think
1: blue, I think initially was way behind in the power rankings. And I think stuff like Falaji Archaeologist being mm-hmm. good and actually a card and all the unearthed cards essentially being colorless, I think pulled blue up in the power rankings because you could play blue and still play all the good unearthed cards. And then you still had like blue's top two or three commons that did play well with all those unearthed things as well. So blue definitely moved up as far as my estimation of it the most over the course of the format, I think.
0: We have this color power rankings. We don't have any, there's no like six greater than signs between (laughs) any colors. And you would have done that had you felt that. Like, I'm happy... With any color in this format, and I'm happy with almost any color pair in this format, like even green blue, I hope that I would get into for the right reasons, or it'd be there for like some busted artifacts to ramp into or whatever, be doing some like crazy self mill stuff with like Blanchwood Prowler, archaeologist and uh, the the three mana spell in green that like bins five cards, and then you pick one. So I think that like you could do Anything largely in this format, but I would say that's largely because, like, ahead of all five of these colors is the letter C for colorless. Love it. All right, let's take a quick ad break and we'll be back with the rest of the list. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So, what is this stuff? It's as easy as taking a multivitamin, Ben. One scoop of AG1 shaken with water, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day.
1: This special blend of ingredients supports
0: your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting pretty good. With every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations
1: helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including no kid hungry here in the US.
0: AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself.
1: Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills
0: and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate
1: daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. Number 11, Prototype looked like a really cool mechanic, but it largely fell flat because of the strict rules of engagement with the format.
0: And removal being so good. I mean, I I came in hot. I was like, Russ Goliath, this is it. This is my, (laughs) my time to get to experience a Rise of the Eldrazi style format with these big mechs. And you just couldn't spend 10 mana or whatever, seven mana and three power stones to cast a 10 mana, 10, 10 and have your opponent go, okay, disenchant. You know, like you just didn't have the ability to do that. Removal was so good and so important and so playable. Even the like dregs of removal was playable that you couldn't do a sort of eggs basket style archetype.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And honestly, kind of a bummer that prototype fell flat. I think that was the mechanic I was most excited for after Power Stones going into the format. Like it was Power Stones prototype. Unearth was kind of a distant afterthought. And that's just not really how it panned out, which is fine. I mean,
0: happy with the format the way it was, but interesting to see that that was how things shook out. It was basically like, I, I'd say Combat Thresher. That's the the white double striker at Uncommon. That was like basically the only non-rare that I was happy with. Like even B- Boulder Branch Golem, I, I was a- against the masses on that card. Not that I didn't like it, but I found it much closer to filler than something I was like seeking just because I was so it's like you don't only really have so much room for cards that are that expensive in this format because there's so much to do with your mana you know Ooh, I'm with the people love a boulder branch golem I know all right number 12 scrap work cohort and scrap work mutt were the best commons in the format to pack one pick one sorry scrap work mutt you were ineligible for the golden egg award this year so where are you at pack one pick one mutter cohort cohort baby led me to my 3060 against team resources I think I'm on Mutt. Pack one, pick one. Say it ain't so. I think four I rectangles am. greater than two rectangles.
1: <laughs> that is true, but you also get the draw discards. You get yeah. to replace some rectangles. It still moves yeah. around four rectangles, I think. That's true. And, and it's two <laughs> mana versus four mana, which mm-hmm. is just so important in the format to get on board. I, I, I think Scrapwork Cohort is more powerful, mm. but Mutt getting lower on your curve, pack one, pick one feels so much nicer to me. I don't think I had quite as sinking of a feeling as when my opponent played turn two Scrapwork Mutt. It's just such an annoying card in the context of the format. And cohort is like really good and really good at stabilizing you and probably more powerful. But I didn't quite have that same sinking feeling when Scrapwork cohort came down on the other side of the battlefield. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair. I, I'm not like I don't feel strongly. I think I'm, I'm gonna, you know, you know me, I'm a big data boy, Gotta stick with the data and go with cohort number one. But both of these cards are the clear pack one pick one commons of the format. Number 13. The cycle of self-mill creatures went up in value if you
1: picked unearthed cards aggressively and planned to build your deck around them.
0: Shout out to In Order: Airlift Chaplain in White, Falaji Archaeologist in Blue, Blanchwood Prowler in green, ravenous Gigamol in black, and Tomical Scrapsmith in red. These cards are great. And I I think, again, part of the reason these cards are great, aside from Chaplin, but even Chaplin goes later than it should, I think, is that these cards go late. Like getting Flawgy Archaeologist on the wheel or like whatever, pick six, pick seven, pick eight feels so good. Feels so good. And while that the white and the blue are
1: better than the black and the green, when black and green cared about getting creatures in the yard. Yeah, right. For
0: sure. That theme just fell very flat at the common and uncommon level. I agree. Number 14. Speaking of, Falaji Archaeologist was the last hidden gem of the format. And we're going to shout this out a little later, spoiler, as the best common in its color. It enabled so many strats. It was Argothian Sprite's Kryptonite. Nothing felt better than your opponent slamming Sprite on turn two and you responding with a Falaji Archaeologist that drew you a card and was just an O3 sitting laughing at the Sprite, you know? Well, or your opponent slamming a stupid
1: rock hunter, the 3-1 with reach. Oh, yeah. And then you just play Flaji Archaeologist and decline to pull something back. Like maybe you have been some unearthed cards and you make a 1-4. Like that's awesome against your
0: opponent's 3-1. And it paired super well with all the recursion effects. I didn't quite realize how many ways there were to reanimate or raise dead creatures or artifacts in this format. But the fact that archaeologists both milled those things and dug you towards your reanimate effects was so sweet. Yeah, you could do blue-white reanimator. You could do blue-black
1: reanimator. It was very cool. Mm -hmm. Number 15, Rakdos Sacrifice was the best and most versatile deck in the format. So many flavors.
0: Yeah, so you had like Blast Runner aggro or just regular aggro. It didn't have to have Blast Runners. And this was where I think, what was it, Gixian infiltrator. That's the two one in black. Mm-hmm. This was like a poor person's goblin blast runner and in aggressive sacrifice shells was totally serviceable. Yeah, I would say better than serviceable in the best red black decks. And then whatever, move to the other end of the spectrum and you have like a grindy value based, maybe you've got some engines happening with like transmogrant altar or, you know, you've got clay revenant moving around from battlefield to graveyard to hand and more. Um, you know, you're you know building out a big board and then using junkyard genius to finish off your opponent whatever yeah and then lastly you had steel and sack and i think this was the worst of the
1: three archetypes but you had active treason effects plus sacrifice outlets to take your opponent's creatures and then sacrifice them for value there was yes. just so much good red and black removal that you didn't need to do that to get removal
0: right that was the thing is like the usually the seal and sack package is either you know in the case of like afr it's just so powerful and there's so many free sack outlets but the more common reason is that you end the draft and you don't have a lot of ways to interact. You're like, well, I can cobble together these, you know, sack outlets and steel pieces, and then then I can make removal. It's like, how did you end up in red black without, you know, six removal spells? You know. Yeah. Number 16, several commons and multiples led to very specific decks on their own. Shout out to, I would say this is, you know, the the triumvirate at common here. We've got Mightstone's Animation in blue, Goblin Blast Runner in red, and Warlord's Elite in white. And I think, you know, once you had, honestly, two copies of these, it started to shift your pick orders. You know, your Warlord's Elite, you're like, okay got to lower that curve. Now I'm looking for the survivors of Coilus. And now I'm looking for as many like one mana and two mana artifacts. I want the combat courier. I want the Yoshin frontliners just so I can spend just three mana on this Warlords Elite and dump it on turn three.
1: Right. And Goblin Blast Runner, you're picking up those bitter reunions aggressively, maybe a little more aggressively than you would. Mightstones animation, just artifacts, the cantrip, ETB, or make some power stones, all three of those things Once you got multiple copies, really wanted you to do what they say on the card. Mm -hmm. Number 17, the best colored common of each color. In white, Airlift Chaplain. In blue, Phalagi Archaeologist. In black, Overwhelming Remorse. In red,
0: Excavation Explosion. In green, argothian Opportunist. Yeah, I mean, I think there are people out there who might say Sentinel Stalwart. Ooh, no way. I don't know. I, I, I'm not. So wait, hold on. No way that that's right, or no way that people would say that. No way that that's correct. I, I stand back against those people. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on Argothian opportunist. I would take the question mark away and put a, a firm period at the end there.
1: Yeah, there's just a long list of highly mediocre green commons that I love. I mean, there's yeah. Argothian opportunist. There's epic confrontation. Love me an
0: Argothian sprite. Yeah, lots of things going on there. Number 18, Bitter Reunion might be one of the cleanest designs ever for a magic card. Sing sing me a little love song here, Ben. This is awesome. I feel the same way about Bitter Reunion that I do about
1: Talarian Terror in that like didn't register with me really at all during preview season. And then you play it and you see how well it goes with other cards. And just a small twist on something like Tormenting Voice made it perfect for the format, it was awesome. I, I loved the design of this card. I love the fact that it had sacrifice synergy with Goblin Blast Runners. The haste was a nice touch. Like we all looked
0: at this and we're like, OK, but it was so much more than that, you know? Oh, yeah, this card was phenomenal. And then, like, Goblin Blast Runner into Bitter Reunion into what? Penragon Strongbowl might have been, or maybe just like two more Blast Runners on turn three plus sacrifice your thing. <laughs> yeah, Blast Runner into Scrapwork Mutt into Bitter Reunion Sack or whatever. Yeah, on turn three was the Holy Trinity in this format. And, you know, I, I remember maybe it was week two, you were like, oh man, Goblin Blast Runner is kind of the thing. And I was like, have you played Bitter Reunion in that deck yet? And you were like, no. I was like, Give that a shot. And then, like, (laughs) later that day, you were like, oh man, you were right. Like, Bitter Reunion was the truth. Just that, that innocuous one mana for haste was not innocuous at all. No. Number 19 ways to make power stones at three mana were way
1: better than ways to make power stones at four or five mana.
0: Yeah, uh, shout out to again, our our folks over at mystical dispute, they were talking about stone retrieval unit as being one of the like, woeful underperformers of the format. And they were saying, we you know four mana for a two, three is just such bad stats. And I'm like, it's not the stats. Like if this was three mana for a one two, that made a power stone, I bet it would be way more playable. Because making a power stone on turn three is so much more impactful than making a power stone on turn four.
1: Yeah. So some others, Koilos Rock, that I actually didn't mind so much. Not that you necessarily cared about the Power
0: Stone, but the 3-3 Flash Flyer was kind of annoying. It was so easy to play around, though. I cannot tell you how many times I was like, oh, you're passing with five mana up and you're blue? I know what you're doing. And I just like, won't attack into this. And then they just sadly play their flash flyer. I don't know. I I found that card like it wasn't embarrassing by any stretch, but solidly filler for me. Oh, definitely play aroundable. Just racing in the
1: air with a three powered flyer that had flash was annoying. There was a lot of times that my opponents
0: turned the script
1: on who was the beat down with Coilus Rock Mm, against me. That's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. And then Falaji Excavation, I think you and I really wanted this to be a thing but just sadly was not. And I think that that's largely because like Rust Goliath wasn't a thing as well. Right. Number 20, Gaia's Gift greater than, and I I would put multiple greater than signs here, giant growth. Power creep is real people. I mean, this, I think we knew, especially coming off of Dominare United with take up the shield being so good and and Gaia's Gift not having lifelink, we were still like, this is probably enough keywords that this is going to be good enough. And it was much more than good enough. Yeah, very good. Number 21,
1: the cycle of mono-colored uncommons rarely came together.
0: But I would say, as an asterisk, very cool that Elsewhere Flask could enable them in any deck. I think mono-red probably the most real with Sardian Cliff Stomper. I definitely had mono-red decks with multiple copies of Cliff Stomper.
1: Yeah, I've seen mono-blue with Flow of Knowledge. Have not done it myself, but have seen it. have done Blanchwood Armor multiple times, and when it gets there, it's great. And when your opponent has removal, it's not.
0: Well, and is doable because of Gaia's gift, right? You, once you get a Blanchwood armor or two, then you're just snapping up any Gaia's gift you see, and so that on turn five, you go armor, and then you're protected. Oh, you have so much patience. <laughs> just snapping uh, that
1: thing off on three, crossing I've, my fingers, and then complaining when I get unlucky.
0: Of course. Well, that's, that's the Ben Wernie way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, corrupt, I think, was probably the, the second most popular of these behind Cliff Stomper, but I, I was never a corrupt believer in the format.
1: Also not a Corrupt believer, And then lastly, Lay Down Arms. You just kind of played this in your white decks because <laughs> right. the format was so low to the ground as far as
0: mana value. Well, and this was one of like, you didn't feel bad exiling Scrapwork Mutt. Like, otherwise you felt bad targeting removal at these um, cheap unearthed cards. But because Lay Down Arms exiled, less bad. Yep. Number 22, the official Lords of Limited Gold Uncommon Power Rankings. Is this the first time that almost all of them were good? I think so. It stood out to me when I was making this list. I was like, ooh, like that one. Ooh, like that one. Yes, yes, yes. Like all the way down to number nine, I would say. I would say only, and I'll I'll spoil it, only Battery Bearer as number 10, I think, was the one that fell flat. And I think there's a gap after the top five. Okay. But the other four,
1: I think, are pretty good as well.
0: All right. So in a clear first place... Skyfisher Spider, love that card. Number two, Junkyard Genius. Number three, Third Path Iconoclast. Number four, Yoshin Dissident. Triples is best for the three hundred six zero against the uh, the team resources. Number five, Yoshin Tactician. This was such a beating, such a beating when your opponent
1: played one into a second one, like turn four, turn five. Yeah. That happened to me so many times in this format, and it creatures just get huge. Yeah. Number six, Arbalest
0: Engineers. Number seven, Evangel of Synthesis. Number eight, Falaji Vanguard. And number nine, Hero of the Dunes with Battery Bearer in the 10th spot. There you have it, folks. The official list that no debate could be had
1: about, possibly. I I had no debate. You put this in and I said... Great. I don't like making lists. (laughs) Number 23. If you didn't see good rares and unearthed cards, white was the
0: default color to draft because it was the easiest way to be aggressive at common. Here's how I know Ben is trying to internalize something for himself, is that this was the other point that came up about four different times (laughs) in his initial pass (laughs) of the 50 takes for this episode. So really trying to hammer it home, look, if I'm not doing the dirtly stuff, if I'm not doing the unearthed multicolor stuff, white is the place to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a struggle to get to 50 takes, folks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, was, it was a two day effort. I, I got stuck at about 25 after the first day and then came back stronger the second day and got us all the way to 50. But you you did a lot of refining. But yeah, I do think this is something that I am trying to hammer home in my brain as we end the format here.
0: Number 24, interacting was important enough that even something like Unleash Shell was totally playable. But you could say this about so many effects like, OK, both fight spells in green are good. Yep. Unleash shell, good. Prison sentence, one of the top commons in the format according to 17 lands. Yep. Even weak stone subjugation. Yep. Here's my question for you, because I think we disagree here. Where did you land on the disenchant effects, which I guess are just disenchant and shoot down disenchant main deck for me shoot down. Not great. I was never really a fan of either of these. And honestly, I mean I, I didn't like shootdown that much at all, but preferred shootdown to disenchant because of exile. Like the artifacts that I wanted to target because so many of them were on Earth, I found that Disenchant just didn't get the job done a lot of the time. That's
1: fair. And I do think worth noting, I don't know that we ever really said this over the course of the whole format.
0: Prison sentence is much better than disenchant. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Not that, not that was even kind close. of a question going in, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know us, we, we hate pacifism effects and like a broken clock. It's going to be right twice a day. And sometimes pacifism will be better than, uh, than disenchant, you know? Yeah. I do think prison sentence and weak stone subjugations were both just actually the G word. I think they
1: were just good. And wow. then Un- unleash shell. Playable. Not not good, but playable. Five mana for five damage was a necessary evil, I think.
0: And in the right decks, in the right shell, huh? uh, two to the face <laughs> oh, was... <wow. laughs> two to the face We're was actually... De- <laughs> jokes in training, folks. Sorry, sorry. Two to the face was actually really important. Number
1: 25. You could go infinite with Staff of Domination plus Cradle Clear Cutter
0: plus a way to pump its power like giant growth. I, I never got to do this. I never... The only times I ever saw a Staff of Domination... We're in pack three, and it was like too late to try and do the thing.
1: Yeah, I never did it either. But classically on brand, I had it done to me a couple of times.
0: But I, I guess what I heard was that on Arena, you couldn't actually go infinite because the rope would get you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the rope would get you. Number 26, efficient combat tricks were very powerful in proactive decks. We've already sung the praises of Gaia's Gift, but I think worth shouting out Whirling Strike, which is the plus two plus zero first strike trample trick. And Military Discipline as the one mana aura with flash that gave plus one, plus zero and first strike until end of turn. Number 27, Clay Revenant was an important piece for a lot of engines. Yeah, so I mean, I was still a fan of the blue uncommon Urza Looter. Um, so that plus Clay Revenant, you could get yourself down to just a single black to make a Power Stone every turn and draw a card transmogrant Alter, though I did fall a little low on this card. You know, it came in, came in very low. You like this card. Then week one, I was like, this card's awesome. And then <laughs> slowly dipped down, 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 down as the format went on, because I think altar was just at, at the end of the day, too slow. If we Again, to go back to this sort of unattainable description of why the format was fast, I can only point to certain anecdotes and Alter feeling too slow is one of those. And I think my favorite of these was Fauna Shaman. Plus Clay Revenant being able to repeatedly tutor for any creature in your deck.
1: Well, and Fauna Shaman was just amazing because most of the time you had a bomb rare to go get.
0: Even if you didn't have a Clay Revenant, Fauna Shaman was a house in the format. Well, and on Earth, with Fauna Shaman felt so good. Ooh, that too. I, I, I got a shout out. but you didn't even talk about this in the What on Earth episode. We haven't talked about this yet. I got a shout out my favorite underrated card in the format, which is Disciples of Gix. This is the four black black uncommon 4-4 four, four, that bins three artifacts when it comes into play. I absolutely love this card, and I cannot understand why it has such an abysmal win rate. I could tell you that it's not a very good card. Would that convince you? It is a six mana four four that draws you three cards. You cannot convince me otherwise. The card is a beating. It's so expensive. I literally never saw this card all format long. Wow. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Um, But yeah, I think Clay Revenant was really a nice piece. And honestly, you, you rarely wanted it. To hit the battlefield. The ideal scenario was it like bobbing back and forth between your graveyard and your hand. Oh, absolutely. Number 28. The Urzatron creatures were way more meme than dream. Except in the LR versus LOL showdown, taste it, Marshall. Uh yeah, you got to live the actual dream, which was Mine Worker on Two, Tower Worker on Three, Power Plant Worker on Four. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I do think Tower Worker was the best of the bunch. Would you agree? Um, (laughs) they're all terrible. I think Tower Worker was the only one that I would play outside of this sort of like, you know, terrible package of cards. But like, you know, in an Urza deck, I was happy to play like a self-assembler and a Tower Worker, for example. Yeah, I I would say Tower Worker is
1: the most playable on its own. Yes, I agree. Yeah, ramping from three to five, one three with reach, etc. Number
0: 29, your opponents will have removal and you need to plan accordingly. Again, how many times can we shout out Gaia's Gift in this 50 takes, but such an important piece there. And I think that's true, right? This chain reaction of everyone has important cards, removal gets way better. And so because removal is being played by everybody as often as possible, protection spells are really premium. And they existed. Gaia's Gift and Lauren's Escape really gotcha.
1: Yeah. And then ways to rebuy as well, stuff like recommission or emergency weld, all those type of cards went way up in value, the better your cards were. So the more you have some siege veterans, the more you have those Skystrike soldiers, the more you want these ways to rebuy them
0: and find them and protect them. However, number 30, Ashnod's intervention is not a supernatural stamina variant. Unplayable. Yeah, this is the black plus two plus oh, or does it even do plus two plus oh? I don't know. All right, never mind, whatever, unplayable, moving on.
1: Number 31, Levitating Statue was the best build around uncommon in the format. Boom, baby, yeah, I think I'm in for this, this card was great card was great best build around of the year it won that's in our, true <laughs> in our best in worship 2022 how could it not be the best in the format two critics raved best build around of the year but seriously this was essentially colorless i think if you built your deck right could go in many different color pairs and all you needed to do was get it to a 2-2 That was one non-creature spell before it was a real magic card. And then a 3-3, it's very good. So you didn't even have to go all in on it necessarily, but you also could just go super deep on it. And I think its best home was in a heavy blue deck with Falaji archaeologists
0: to help find it. Yeah, I buy that for sure. Number 32, over the top and one with the multiverse were great ways to meme later in the format. Over the top? Say oh, it ain't so. Have you not cast that card? No, it seems terrible to me. It seems terrible to even me. No, that's so good. You make power
1: stones. And then you have a bunch of permanent, it goes perfectly with rectangle theory. How did you not play this card? I don't know. It just seems so bad to me. No, you put just useless rectangles on the battlefield and then cast over the top, flip your deck over. And it's also one of the quickest ways to deck yourself to start doing <laughs> loops with uh, the stupid two five that could put things on the bottom of your library. Loved over the top. We'll be getting to the, quote, stupid 2-5 in just a few points, sir. Number 33, moving onwards. Sentinel stalwart plus Howling Mine literally lets you build your own personal Howling Mine.
0: Yeah, this was sweet. I hadn't even thought about this. And this is just way more dream than meme, right? Because once you saw Howling Mine, you go, okay, I'm going to grab a Sentinel stalwart or more and going to be able to turn this on. And I got to do this once and it was awesome. I did
1: this several times. You could also do Howling Mind plus Might Stones animation and start beating your opponent down with your Howling
0: Mind. That was another cool way to do it. Or Alloy Animist as well and Uncommon. Yes. Number 34, Rock Hunter has reach. I attacked so many 2-2 levitating statues into Rock Hunter at the end of this format. What are are we going to do with you? When when will we get the New Year's resolution of, I promise to read cards. I'm going to play tighter. It's going to happen. 2023. All right. We'll see. It's definitely not.
1: (laughs) 35. Cantripping artifacts from the retro artifacts were very
0: important to have as sacrifice fodder. So we had Elsewhere Flask, Icar Wellspring, Chromatic Star. Those are probably the best of the bunch because they cantripped on ETB or when sacrificed elsewhere in the case of Star. That was what made Star so good was like... You played it, and then you could sacrifice it—not just to itself, right? you could sacrifice it to Stronghold, sacrifice it to Junkyard Genius, and still get the benefit of drawing a card. I thought that was actually the most annoying, though, right? Because usually you want the card up front. Yes, for sure, and I'm, I don't think it was—I don't think Star was the best of those three. I think those three were the best of the bunch. Yes, I agree. Number thirty-six, Soul Guide Lantern, and Graveyard Hate in general was very strong, and I just remember being so impressed by Soul Guide Lantern. I was like, oh no. This is uh, what was the call called the uh, the five mana three, four that ate people's graveyards from Midnight Hunt. I was like, oh, no, this is just a one mana version of that, like comes into play, snags an unearthed card. No fun for you. But that just pointed to how good Hadeon graveyards was in general. Yeah, there was unearthed.
1: There was all the graveyard recursion. Ashnod's Harvester also was such a backbreaking two drop when your opponent was on the play and you were doing some of the unearthed shenanigans with those self mill creatures Carrion Locust, like playable,
0: the 2-1 flyer yeah. that nabbed a card on ETB. I mean, not good, but annoying when it hit. For sure. I mean, one of the most frequently sideboarded in cards for me in best of three if I wasn't main decking it. Yeah, by that. Number 37, Keeper of the Cadence loops were hard to come by. There it is, the stupid 2-5. There's the stupid 2-5. I mean, I, as much as I really, like, I, you know, this card was spoiled. So Clay Revenant was spoiled. Ben was like, well, this is going to be Ethan's most drafted common. And then this card was spoiled and people are like, loops? <laughs> and it was really hard because it couldn't put itself back. So usually with these kinds of effects, you're like, okay, once I grab two, they can like loop each other. But you couldn't do that because this could only put back artifacts, instants, and sorceries.
1: That's what Gear Drake is for.
0: Yeah, but that's so awkward. Did you ever have to build like the worst loop engines of Swiftgear Drake plus hoarding recluse? I never did Swiftgear
1: Drake plus recluse, but I had Swiftgear Drake alongside Keeper of the Cadence several times. Yeah. I mean,
0: but that's so awkward. How funny is that that Swiftgear Drake, a five mana 2-4 flyer with haste, evasion and haste was only really playable for loops, for like the most dirtliest opposite of flying and haste possible. I'm here for it. Number 38. Sacrifice outlets were very good in this format, thanks to lots of disposable rectangles being available. I mean, I'd say chief among them, Junkyard Genius, and then a dip, Transmogrant Altar, and then perhaps the most powerful, maybe? Penrodon Strongbowl was wildly good. Wildly
1: good, but Junkyard Genius is significantly better than Strongbowl.
0: Yeah, I guess. But just like, you know, pound for pound, common versus uncommon. Yes. Strongbowl is very good. And then Thraxodemon, good, not great, um, as the two drop, just largely because three mana was a lot. And Killzone Acrobat, shockingly playable. Yeah,
1: I think fine. Like, if you didn't get the other sacrifice outlets, you were playing Killzone Acrobats. And it was best if you were doing the Steel and Sack thing, because that right. was a, a free way to play your, your sibling rivalry to you know steal the thing and then still have a sacrifice outlet on four mana but mm-hmm. i think a dip down below the others agreed number 39 sliced bread was a recipe for success in Baro.
0: so that is s for s tier
1: l for lean i for interaction c for colorless e for engines d for drafting decks not cards boom baby sliced bread And we haven't talked about engines much. We've talked about speed of the format, but I do think it's important to note if you're coming back to this format or if you're coming to the format for the first time after listening to this episode, the format's fast, but if you adhere to the rules, the games can go pretty long
0: and then it's very important to have access to an engine to win the late game. Number 40, Trench Stalker should wheel, but it is a house in the right deck. And the more I think about it, the more the right deck is just like a lot of black decks. (laughs) Well, yeah, there
1: were self-contained ways to do this with Moment of Defiance. It was very good in Black Red. Also, you had Bitter Reunions and the like in Black Red. Blue Black, obviously, right at home there when the deck wanted to draw two. But yeah, Trench Stalker was huge, I think. Point for you based on the crash course. All right, sweet. Number 41, Takesha's Anulet is the yin to Mishra Juggernaut's Yang. I'm so glad you're on board with this. Yeah, I'm a believer. All it took was casting it once six weeks into the format.
0: (laughs) It's just so big. Yeah. I mean, just so large, especially off the back of a power stone, casting this on turn four. And I think, you know, we're, we're talking so much about our love for Anulet. Gotta give as much, if not more love to Mishra's Juggernaut as just being so huge and then just lava Axe in waiting in the graveyard. Yeah. Scary card for sure. Number 42, Incidental Life Gain was very good against the aggro decks in the format. So we're talking about, I'd say the big three being Boulder Branch Golem. Obstinate Baloth, and Moment of Defiance. This was my bread and butter in the first two weeks of the
1: format. It just crushed everyone with black-green cards that affect the board. And honestly,
0: you can lump Trench Stalker in there. Like, all it took – it's so funny. Like, all it took was Trench Stalker connecting once, right? It wasn't like you'd be like, all right, well, got to get a chain of draw two together so I can gain four, eight, twelve. It's like, no, you gain four life. And have a four-five in play, you're stable, Mabel. Pull it also. Skyfisher Spider. I forgot that card came oh, live too. Yeah, what a card. Yeah. Oh, and so sick. Like when Skyfisher Spider goes to the graveyard, and your opponent decides to not exile it, you're like, oh no. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. guess emergency weld is getting cast next.
1: Yep, for sure. Number forty-three. As much as DMU taught you how to draft. Bro taught you how to build decks.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a really fun feature of the formats. Making cuts was super interesting in this set. Like red, black is such a good example of you could build the deck many different ways and you could fall into traps if you didn't recognize that you had like two halves of two different decks.
1: Yes, I think certainly possible to fall into that trap. And then stuff like Power Stone Fracture just ranged from either awesome depending on how many disposable rectangles you had to nearly unplayable depending on the other cards surrounding it and i would say
0: the more drafts you did the more low power cards you found homes for and that was fun for me like wasteful harvest the two in a green card that uh milled 5 and then you get to pick a card from among them and put it into your hand you know i didn't think that that card was very good but i definitely found a few decks throughout the course of the format where i was happy with it in the deck number 44 giant cindermaw is a beating i think i think you could just call this format also like stats the format in a way like holy cow three mana four three large trample larger nerfing life gain was so real here too yeah this was insane when it came down on
1: curve and then also like it came down at a point where you sometimes had to double block it like you had Mm -hmm. two twos or you didn't have a three one and double blocking this card was terrifying because there was so much good instant speed interaction and combat tricks and things like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. A nightmare. But, but there were also times where like just on turn four, you were like, if I don't try and double block this now, I basically lose to it. So you were just like in this rock in a hard place.
1: Mm-hmm. Number 45, Mask of the Jade Crafter looks kind of clunky, but it is so many stats in one card and two artifacts in one card.
0: Actually, four artifacts in one card. There he goes. There he goes. He <laughs> graduates from rectangle theory. Yeah. Uh, Masculine Jade Crafter is incredibly powerful, and I think pretty underrated to this day, like in the sense of I am thrilled to pack one, pick one this card, and I don't know if that's how the community at large feels. Yeah. It feels like you steal something when you get it fourth pick because yes. it's colorless. Exactly. All right. Oh, I'm glad I get this point, Ben. Number 46, Lauren, Disciple of History and Hulking Metamorph, could let you go, eh, in quotes, infinite. Little behind the scenes here. Before the show, Ben was going over the show notes. He goes, goes, how does this let you go infinite? And I was like, do you want me to tell you now or do you want me to tell you on air? And he says, I couldn't care less. (laughs) So I told him and he was like, are you the only person? on earth that knows how to do this. So here's what this does, folks. You got Lauren Disciple of History comes into play. It says whenever it or another legendary creature comes into play, you return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand. Great. Then you cast Hulking Metamorph. Copy Lauren Disciple of History. Oh no, legendary. Oh wait, <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. I'll keep the regular Lauren. I'll put Hulking Metamorph copy into the graveyard, but I get two triggers. So I return Hulking Metamorph and I return another artifact. I never
1: in my wildest dreams would have
0: done something
1: like that. So did you figure that out while you were drafting? Or did you happen to have a deck with both of these cards and then realize when you had both of these cards? Realize when I had both of the cards. I, I literally would bet money that there are... (laughs) Less than 100 people on planet Earth that know about that interaction. And now I've shared this beauty with the masses. There it is. I, I was thinking just like infinite sacrifice loops, and I was not impressed. And then you were like, two triggers, baby. Yeah. Oh, there it is.
0: I don't think legend ruling is not sacrificing. Oh, What is it? State-based effects? Yeah, I think it's just keep keep one, the other one goes away. I don't think it's sacrifice. Number 47, build-arounds that
1: are closer to traps than real cards. So sad. Symmetry Matrix, Slagstone Refinery, Meticulous Excavation, Thran Vigil, Arms Race. Lots of dragons to slay in this format, but lots of dragons that were not very good. Yeah, I have cast four out of five of these cards. Ooh, I'm two for five. I had some sweet Symmetry Matrix decks twice. I had Symmetry Matrix, and it was very good. And then I have tried unsuccessfully to make Meticulous Excavation a thing. I
0: got to play Arms Race with Portal to Phyrexia, and it was actually good. Ooh, nice. Yeah, um, but I never got to do Thran Vigil. I think Thran Vigil is just like the slowest, clunkiest aura ever. (laughs) So (laughs) bad. Number 48, the three pillars of drafting the format were streamlined two-color decks, aggro decks, and unearth value. And I think a lot of variation among those three, but those were the three pillars. Yeah. And I think you were looking for
1: them in the order of unearth value, aggro decks, and then streamlined two-color. I agree. Number forty-nine, because there are so many strong colorless cards, or essentially colorless cards, with unearth, you should try to stay open longer than normal in this format. And
0: I think I want to say exactly what you wrote here, which is longer than you feel comfortable. I think one of the biggest traps I saw people fall into was they would they understood that unearth cards were colorless, and so they w- their draft logs looked like, all right, I'm picking some colorless cards. I'm picking the unearth cards, picking energy refractor, evolving wilds. And then like for some random reason, they got like a conscripted infantry pick nine. That's the three mana three one that dies into a one one in red. And then they would just decide that they're red. And I was like, you were delaying the decision so well. And then (laughs) you just decided to latch onto a color for no reason. And then pigeonhole yourself because you felt uncomfortable. So I think you got to live in that awkwardness a little bit longer than you want to. Yeah, and
1: then I think if you do live in that awkwardness, that gives you the option to get past some
0: of those late gold uncommons and then move in on the streamlined two color decks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Bringing us home here, number 50. Bro had very strict rules of engagement go back to sliced, go back to unearth being colorless, get it, go back to fastest format we've seen in a while. But if you follow those rules, you can win without rares. And I didn't even write this. You can (laughs) even
1: have fun. I do think that is a boon for the format is that there were lots of ways to have fun. And I I do think it is more fun to do nonsense when it's difficult, right? Like you're going to be under pressure. So it, it feels like more of an achievement to do fun things in a format like bro than it does in a more mopey format where you have more time to set up your loops in your engine or whatever.
0: I agree, right? Like you remember those games where you were scraping and clawing and you stabilized at one life and then turned it around. Like Those are, for me, the most fun games of magic. And I think bro allowed you to do that pretty well. And I do think there was with all of the rares, I'm going to put my two cents in here. I think there was a cost
1: to doing business in this format. There were a number of games where your opponent played turn three siege veteran and it was over or, you know, turn five precursor golem and it was over. But there's enough sweet stuff to do also that you get enough games where that doesn't happen that I do think it is net fun overall for sure. Yeah, I agree. All right. Any parting thoughts about bro?
0: I mean, it bro won the award for best format of 2022. Uh, according, in, in your <laughs> rankings according <laughs> to one of two lords of limited podcast co-hosts one out of every two doctors agree um i uh yeah i really like this format I, I again like i said i didn't i feel like i didn't give it its full lifetime but i will be happy to return to it when it comes back as a flashback
1: i think what happened to me was that i followed the rules very well for the first three weeks and then i stopped following the rules because i was tired of following the rules and then I was losing and then I stopped having fun because I was losing because I wasn't following the rules. I wish I was had a reason to come back to bro right now because I do feel after recording these last two episodes on bro, I feel kind of psyched to draft bro, but I just am in such a good swing with Vintage Cube that I'm probably just going to keep Vintage Cubing the rest
0: of the year. Well, you'll at the very least have the event in the arena decathlon to sort of flex those muscles during. Yeah, and I, I will probably do a few bro drafts here and there, and I will make sure
1: to follow the rules. Excellent. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salted Pretzels for our
0: intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases or signing up for a, a TCG Player subscription to read all that sweet content on the CFB Pro side, please navigate your way there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash lord. Tupperware, Ben, is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody.
1: See you later.